Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Hello everyone, I'm Kelly Chia, Deputy Head of Research Asia here at Bank Julius Baer and welcome to our podcast. Today we have Reid Menge from BlackRock with us. Hi Reid, thanks for joining us all the way from the US. Hey Kelly, pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, Reed is an MD of the equity division of BlackRock, but the important thing here is that he co-manages the technology equity portfolios. And today we're going to talk about a very recent and important topic on artificial intelligence. Reed, I guess I'll start off with your initial thoughts on AI, the development, maybe how you think we should think about this in a short, long term. Absolutely, Kelly. So AI, it's a broad term. It, it basically it describes algorithms that are capable of mimicking the cognitive abilities that we associate with humans. So like reading a book, recognizing a phrase, writing poems, and then this, this generative AI, which is this new thing that everybody is on board with now with ChatGPT, that's a subset of artificial intelligence. And this is where that algorithm is focused on the creation of content. And so ChatGPT has been on the market now for about half a year. It's actually the fastest adopted consumer app of all time. It's got over 100 million users. This is a technology that's extraordinarily profound, and I'm a huge believer. And I say that because even today, it's being used in a lot of just groundbreaking ways. Banks are using AI for fraud detection. Healthcare companies using it to analyze medical records, do medical diagnosis. We talk to aerospace companies that are using it for preventative maintenance so that ensures that planes can stay in the air longer. Of course, content companies using it for personalized recommendations so we don't turn off our TVs or, or put our phones down. In fact, the most popular social app in the world right now is being used an average of an hour and a half a day, which is insane. Like 10% of people's days being used. And this is because of AI. I remember meeting that company six years ago, and they said to me in the first sentence, we're not a content company, we're an AI company. So this is what's happening today, and yet you just know that in two, three, four years, the pace at which this technology is advancing, it's going to be used to revolutionize every industry. It's just clearly a, a hype cycle. It does smell like crypto a little bit. <laughs> Admittedly, we've obviously a lot more use cases other than trying to make a million dollars overnight or something. It's interesting, like crypto, metaverse, that was the other hype cycle. We all saw those goggles come out this past week from Apple, but they're $3,500. So metaverse is super interesting, super powerful long-term trend, but it still sits so early. The hardware is too expensive. So metaverse, still five to 10 years out. Crypto, you mentioned, Kelly. I think that that's always been in technology, looking for problems to solve. And I do like smart contract. I think that's an interesting angle for crypto. But crypto has problems with scaling. So I think there's technologies that are interesting, but they're a little further out. AI is different. AI is actually happening here and now. I do know that AI saw like really started developing in the 1950s and 60s, right? So we've come a long, long way. Certainly hope crypto doesn't take that long or smart contracts don't take that long to reach this sort of like tipping point that we have with ChatGPT. That's right. It's interesting because I feel like in the US, we have this Thanksgiving holiday in November. That was not that long ago. I remember showing my family this app at the dinner table. And then here we are just nine months later. And look at the stock market, Kelly. You basically have an S&P 500 
flat on the year if you look at the equal weighted S&P. The S&P 500 total is up 12%, but that's because there's about five stocks that are exposed to AI up 40 to 150% this year. And so this theme, which has kind of come out of nowhere, is supporting the entire stock market in 2023. And you've got biggest software CEO in the world calling this the most profound technology of anybody's lifetime. So this is a hype cycle, but the good news is it's real. As a tech investor, I get excited because this is going to spark a whole new tech buying cycle. The hype is real. But ChatGPT and all AI so far, it's basically blocked in many banks. How do we deal with cybersecurity checks and balances for these one or two companies that, because they're private, potentially could do anything that they want with the data? This is a technology I think is interesting, but it's also scaring lots of companies. (laughs) And so I think it is this topic of security in AI. I think there's two aspects that I think about. The first is not even that so much, Kelly. It's more about just the new threat vector that's going to be posed by AI. Generative AI in particular is being used to create malware. That's an industry term, which basically means viruses. I was at the RSA security conference a month ago in San Francisco. It's the biggest security conference in the world, meeting with the industry. And we're already hearing about malware being delivered via ChatGPT because ChatGPT leverages plugins for data. So you can ask ChatGPT a question and get delivered malware. And so I think there's this threat right now of this new technology and the potential that this actually, while incredibly has a lot of utility, also represents a new threat vector for companies. Now, the good news is the security companies are also leveraging these same technologies to combat Gen I created malware, leveraging the same techniques. And so the industry is on top of it, the security industry, but it's definitely a new threat vector, which is concerning. But the second topic, which is interesting from the perspective of artificial intelligence at its core is the need to have really good data. In that regard, there's an increased emphasis on the need for data security. AI systems in general, they rely on the ability to collect and store and process sensitive data. And as these AI systems just get more powerful, that's going to make them more vulnerable to attack. And so I think what's going to happen is these AI systems from these companies you mentioned, they're going to have to be designed with data security in mind, encryption, access controls to prevent unauthorized access to data. There's going to have to be a need for secure coding practices, this idea of DevSecOps, which is a pulling forward code security earlier, the software development lifecycle to ensure that code is secure. There's a need to really ensure that we got strong data security, strong code security, because this is company and people's data. So we got to make sure it's secure. The current AI companies out there, other than the traditional large tech that we are used to, at this point in time, I think that cybersecurity and security is not exactly the forefront. They're coming to a place where Probably they're like, all right, no, I need to make sure that I'm pushing out my product as hard as possible. You know, security may not be exactly that. That leads us on to if they are focusing on growth rather than security, are the regulators going to come in? I was in a lift this morning and there's a European Union AI Act that just came out. I only literally saw 10 seconds of it. Will regulations put a dent in how this is going to roll out? At a high level, I don't worry too much about regulation. And I say that because it's not a bad thing, regulation. As long as it doesn't repress innovation, I think regulation can help legitimize the technology and can drive that responsible product development, which you were talking about earlier, as a concern. So I don't think it's something that we need to fear. And we're definitely hearing about, in the US as well, this idea of regulating AI. The Biden administration is in the early stages right now trying to create a formula or a strategy around this. And of course, as we know, Kelly, the government 
ultimately gets involved in everything eventually. So we know it's coming. But again, remember GDPR? That was supposed to really hurt the big internet companies. It didn't put a dent in it at all. Because frankly, the innovation happens so quick and the governments have a hard time keeping up. A great example. So crypto. We're just seeing this week the headlines about the lawsuits happening in the U.S. And that's since over seven years that this has been in the market. And so we're just seeing this now. So governments are slower. So I think we'll be okay. I remember seeing the chief executive of ChatGPT, essentially, and he is proposing you know, all these regulations. And my fear is that because the top few way in the lead now, they say, you know what, let's put in some really high walls around us so that we sort of like stifle everybody else. So, and that's my half year, you know, for regulations or self-regulation. It's sort of like self-serving in that sense. Yeah, I think self-regulation is tough. But look, there may be the need for organizations that inspect AI systems. Maybe they need to test them for compliance, like auditing. And the energy industry does this with nuclear technologies, where you've got these independent organizations that inspect systems. Even beyond the companies themselves, I think there's a lot of concerns around protecting copyright holders. Because again, this all comes back to data, Kelly, collecting data and training data. And so this idea of protecting copyright for holders of data is going to be really important to make sure that that's sound. And maybe there needs to be organizations that review for bias because, you know, again, we're training AI systems just based on a set of data. Like if you've got an AI system that's designed for recruiting and you train that AI system with only resumes from men, it's going to recommend a man versus a female for the job. Maybe there needs to be some oversight to ensure AI systems make fair, non-discriminatory decisions, but I don't think it's going to happen quick. But ultimately, does it kill it? No, I think it's going to help legitimize the technology and make people feel more comfortable using it. In your opinion, is everything already obvious as an investment when it comes to artificial intelligence? Are markets like super efficient already in pricing? You know, the second derivative, semiconductors, everything is already priced up. Or you think that there's something else that the market's missing out on? Obviously, today, the focus has been on the semiconductor companies, the infrastructure vendors. This is the classic picks and shovel analogy. You've got a technology that's enabling artificial intelligence, enabling the fast processing of data. Those are the GPU vendors, ASIC vendors. The stocks are up 50 to 150% this year. Memory vendors benefit. Again, semiconductor memory companies. AI systems are very memory hungry. I think the delay beneficiary, which we haven't seen yet, will be the semi-cap equipment companies. These are the capital equipment vendors that sell to the foundries. They need to build more stuff to make more chips or something. Exactly. And that's probably a 24 to 26 timeframe phenomenon. And so I think you're going to get this AI momentum shifting from, not even from, but it'll broaden to semi-cap equipment companies, probably starting in 24. Beyond semiconductors, just to put on people's radar what's working, what's moving, the ODMs in Taiwan, these are the companies that are making these AI servers. For the hyperscale vendors, so enormous growth vector for these new companies that normally grow 3 to 4% because they're making PCs, well, now they're making AI servers. And that is an extraordinary book of business right now to make AI servers. So you need three things for AI. The first is a data scientist. The second is a foundation model, so the thing you're training data on. And the third thing is the data itself. Data scientists, a great, great career right now. I think the second point, these large language models, those are becoming open source. So those become a lot more available. So it's that kind of final third piece, the data is that becomes the new intellectual property. That's going to become a new barrier to entry for a lot of industries. And so I point you to like business service companies that hold large sets of proprietary data. I think a lot of these companies, they're sitting on gold mines. 
gold mines of deep vertical data, and every company wants to build and incorporate that data into their foundation model. They want to train it because these models are only as good as the quality of the data. So if you've got a really high proprietary, high value data set, and again, I would point you to the business services sector, that's something that I would highly recommend as that potential next place that the market realizes, let's move beyond the infrastructure. Who is going to leverage the ability to license out their data in the future? And let me just maybe reverse the question a little bit, Kelly, and say, what's a popular investment now that's not yet obvious to be at risk from AI? I think the software industry is at risk. And for the first time, we're questioning really terminal multiples, terminal values of businesses that have been around for 30, 40, 50 years, great franchises, but technology is always changing the world. And so the question is, does this new generative AI technology make certain companies obsolete? Companies that automate human labor, they're at risk. But even bigger picture, Kelly, like think about the software industry. It largely has become a seat-based software model, meaning they're pricing their software based on the number of employees your company has. And if artificial intelligence impacts employment the way that I think many think it may over the next decade, you're going to have companies having a very difficult time trying to maintain their seat counts and just renewing contracts at lower and lower seat values. And so I think that's a risk to the software industry. Does this industry need to shift to a consumption-based pricing model? Can they? Will they? And I've been analyzing the software industry for over 20 years, and I would just say anytime there's a model transition, it can be very tricky for investors. So I think software is an industry, great sector, obviously, but I think this new generative AI in particular technology puts companies at risk. You literally, Kelly, can take any white-collar job and make a convincing argument for why that job is not around in 10 years due to AI. So again, really a profound technology that's making us as tech investors rethink every part of the tech ecosystem. That's on public markets. I know you are more familiar with public markets, but if you had two choices, investing in AI in private or in public, which one would you go for? Which one do you think in the longer term would have a better return profile? Of course, there's going to be big private AI company winners with big returns over the next decade. The VCs are, as we speak, literally tonight, scouring the valley, funding anything with AI in the name. But there's going to be a lot more losers than winners. That's just the reality of venture capital. What did we learn from the past couple of years? Anytime there's a hype cycle, it can cause valuations to become extreme. I think there's a risk that in the private AI opportunity set, valuations might not be as attractive as they clearly would have been a year ago, just given the amount of money looking to invest. Would you say valuations in the private is more frothy than what's happening in the public today? They're resetting, but it takes time. It's not as simple as watching the NASDAQ go down 35% in 2022 and saying that's what private have done as well. A lot of companies raise a lot of capital in 21, and they're really trying to ride this out, hoping the market recovers. And it has a little bit. But no, I don't think the private valuations have reset as much. I think it's happening this year, Kelly, but not fully. From the public company side, I think there's a lot of opportunity for companies to leverage AI to just materially transform their businesses, both from a revenue growth perspective, but also profitability. And I was talking to a CEO of one of the largest software companies yesterday, and he was mentioning to me they spend a billion dollars a year on customer support. Wow. And he was saying, look, I can spend $50 million to train a large language model, and I can save $500 million in customer support. Cut it in half. I mean, that is material cost savings. So invest 50 to get 500. 
So what's interesting is like you get, and that's applicable to any company that's leveraging this technology, this potential to structurally change your margin profile. There's the potential to leverage this technology to dramatically improve your cost structure. And on the revenue side, with regards to AI, here's a dirty little secret of the tech industry. And I think if you talk to any CEO, they'd admit this in private. Basically, like enterprise product development. So product development is just broken. The way products get developed and then implemented and supported is the following way. You have a development team, then a different team implements that product, and a different team trains you for that product and a different team supports that product. And there's a lot of leakage there. So basically what's happening is you're the end user. You have a problem. You call a call center. They don't know how to fix it. They didn't design the product. You as a customer get annoyed and you start looking for a competing product. And that's how every company works today. And I think AI is going to fix a lot of that. So imagine a world where instead of those four layers between the product being designed and you having a problem, companies start to leverage chat GPT-like screens for answers. Let's just say you have a problem with a server or a firewall. You take a picture of the problem and you put it into a chat GPT system that's been trained on the product and the design, the development, and gives you an answer in two seconds how to fix that or install that product or implement that product. That is super interesting. And that's coming in the next three to five years. As a company that does that, your net promoter score goes up, your customer satisfaction levels go up, your retention rates improve, your revenue explodes, and then your implementation and customer support costs go down. Margins go up, investors win. So the question was private versus public. I think public companies that leverage this properly, it's just an extraordinary opportunity for public companies. I'm going to have two more questions. One's on the costs, actually. I know that training, you know, large language models are really expensive. I understand that ChatGPT4 costs above $100 million and inference costs are always running, right? Because every time someone puts in a query, there's a cost to that. Will AI actually ever make money? I know in the long run, it will because somehow we scale up. Everything sort of like gets cheaper, more slow kind of thing. But will it ever make money in the next two years? Or are we going to talk about it like Internet of Things, 3D printing, and I don't know, the metaverse? Yeah, yeah you know, it's interesting. I actually think your cost estimate's even low, Kelly. <laughs> I think it's close to $250 million to, make a, to do a large language model today. And that's because you got to buy about 8,000 GPUs at 40000 a pop. So it's a really interesting question. But yes, I think it's going to make a ton of money. Because the bottom line is, if your company has a product leveraging AI, that's going to have more value. And so the enterprise buyers, consumers pay for value. AI adds value to any product. There's no doubt about that. And again, I think this is going to benefit those larger companies because they've got the capital, they've got the data to really train these models. And so by being able to leverage the technology, better products, more value, customers pay for it, reduce your support costs, implementation costs, your development costs. We're hearing stories about companies reducing R&D headcount engineers because they're just there's, there's technologies now that will write the code for you. So not something I worry about. It's going to make a ton of money. Okay. And I think that AI really does take away some of the grunt work, which we don't like and we can make mistakes on. I was an aerospace engineer previously and the processes had to be so tight because we had to check so many things to prevent an airplane from basically falling from the sky. But everything else that we do, like the white collar stuff, won't AI make us humans sort of like dumb down? If you think about it, we could potentially move from being an author to just an editor. That's a whole different way that our brain engages things. We go from a creator to a reviewer because the AI sort of like creates the stuff for us. 
And this, I think, is pretty important, no? Because I saw this video on this three-star Michelin restaurant in Japan. The apprentice makes the Japanese egg for like a year. Literally, he does the same thing a hundred times a day, right? Or whatever number of times before he's able to move on to, I don't know, to skewer something. So he gets so good at it that the egg actually looks like bread. It doesn't look like an egg. And I think that this something about this 10,000 hour rule by Malcolm Gladwell, I, I'm not sure if you read the book. I was just thinking about it, 10,000 hours, if we put in four hours a day, and you know, if you've got a year with 30 days of holidays, I mean, that's like almost 11 years of hard work to be able to reach Michelin three star. What do you think about AI actually making us dumber? <laughs> Boy, that's an interesting viewpoint. I think what AI is going to be able to do is take away the mundane, pushing papers around, and people will become higher value add. In other words, a developer goes from writing code to becoming a system architect. And I would argue you'd rather be a system architect than someone just writing code. The hope is that this technology actually elevates mankind because it creates better jobs, higher quality jobs, and jobs that can be replaced by a computer, fine, replace these jobs because there's not much value add anyway. The value add is how are we going to design that product or that software or that app? Let me architect it and then have the computer make it. I don't need to make it. That's busy work, but let me architect it. But right now, you know, what's happening is companies are focusing on just moving the nuts and bolts of operating their businesses. That sushi example you gave, maybe that young apprentice could be designing a better item for the menu, architecting a better menu than just perfecting the creation of something. And so I think that's the hope. The hope is this technology enhances humanity because it drives higher value work for my kids, for all of our kids, and ultimately leads to more fulfilling lives. That's a really great hope for the future. Reed, thanks so much for ending on a really, really positive note. And for our listeners, we talked so much about so many issues today, whether we're on a hype cycle, whether how we deal with cybersecurity, how regulations are going to play a part in this whole thing. Interestingly, right in the middle, I really encourage you to re-listen to this because there are all the opportunities that were pretty obvious now, but companies that could leverage the very nice proprietary large data sets that they have. That's not really obvious at this point of time to many investors. And finally, I guess the thought that AI can change our jobs in the sense that it would, instead of taking away creativity and making us just editors, it actually makes us even more creative. And so that's all we have for you today. Reed, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome, Kelly. I really enjoyed it. And it's been such a ride for investors so far. So thanks for all our listeners for tuning in. Take care, stay safe, and goodbye for now. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you've heard, please tell us by leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe to Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player to stay up to date with our latest episodes. To learn more about Julius Bayer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbayer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbayer.com slash legal slash podcast for further important legal information.